0: But we're kicking off a new series in the le- in James's letter, in the letter James wrote to an early Christian community, and so we're calling this James' True Wisdom. And I'm so excited to jump into this series. But before we do, is anyone familiar with the band The Arcadian Wild? Anyone? Anyway. Maybe a few of you guys, and the rest are like, arcade, arcade games, like, what's going on with that? And so, let me tell you about the Arcadian Wild. They're like a, they're a four-piece, I don't know, bluegrass? I don't think it's bluegrass. It's a double bass, and like a mandolin, and a guitar, and harmonized vocals. They're unbelievable, and they've been my jam, especially this last week, because they released a new album but they're best live. Like you have to see them and see everything that's going on. It's amazing. But um, I was listening to their latest album this week and they have this song called Dopamine. And I was like, ooh, this is good. And so I wanted to read you the lyrics to their song Dopamine. They say, and they'll be behind me too if you want to read along but hit them with a little bit of dopamine to keep them looking. Every second, they'll be second-guessing, trying to meet the expectation of the age of information. The simulation will be so convincing, they'll forget that they're alive. I can feel it slipping away. My grip on reality is down to a couple of fingers, living like I'm running a race, though I have my doubts. Anyone's going to come out the winner. Wake up and break yourself out of here. Don't be one of the cold souls who disappears. Stop believing and telling a lie. Why don't you look your life in the eye? Show a video of a corgi wearing a knitted sweater. Then an advertisement for a pair of shoes that look much better than the 14 they already have besides their vegan leather. They're all so delighted they'll forget that they're alive. Giving pieces of me away, my death comes by a thousand cuts. And I paid for the knife. Bleeding for a way to escape my ball and chain, the fatal clutches... A father's green time. Wake up and break yourself out of here. Don't be one of the cold souls who disappears. Stop believing and telling a lie. Why don't you look your life in the eye? Oh, man. Um, I know I read those fast, but the song is great. It's one of those songs where I was listening to it while I was working, and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, what, what are they saying? What are they singing here? And I read the lyrics. And I just felt so seen in like the worst way, you know, where you're like, aha, man. Because I always feel this internal struggle to just reach for my device all the time. Like I can't be still for a moment or a second or be bored without attempting to fill my time with something and how this is actually has repercussions and I feel like, Sometimes the human part of me is beginning to disappear. And so I felt seen in that song. And in a world of rush and in a world of dopamine hits, James's letter is like medication. It's like an invitation to slow down and to just sit and to not rush to the next thing, but it's an invitation to what we're calling true wisdom. You see, the difference between wisdom and knowledge is knowledge is just um, um, information acquisition, right? Get, learn, 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 and we're just intake, 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 intake. That's knowledge. But wisdom, wisdom stops. It, le- it has some knowledge, but it stops. And it sits with that knowledge. And it reflects. And it doesn't rush past it. And it considers how we may need to make some changes. James is as practical as it gets. And it's so good. It's an invitation to reflect. It's, inv- it's an invitation to meditate. and And it's an invitation to practice. You guys, like, I just... Told you I'm really good at rushing from one thing to the next to the next. And I'm not a professional at not doing that. The only way that things are going to change in my life or the only way I'm going to grow in wisdom is to actually practice not rushing. And James is the opportunity when you open it up to practice not jumping from one thing to the next to the next, but to sit with it. And so you guys are really going to enjoy it. And so it's going to be so good. Scripture is going to be on the screen, but you can also turn on or open your Bibles to James. It's near the back of your Bible. If you're new to the Bible, we are the perfect church for you. We try and talk about the Bible in a way that everyday ordinary people can make sense of it. The New Testament's original language was Koine Greek. There was classical Greek, and classical Greek was the educated and the elite. Koine Greek was the street language. So the original language of the New Testament that the New Testament was written in was written in a way to speak to common people. And so we try and talk about the Bible in a common way where we can all track with it. And so also at the beginning of the year for the front, I always just like working through a small book of the Bible together. So then at the end of the year, if someone's like, how many books of the Bible have you read? We can at least say one. You could be like, I read James in, in January and February, because we're going to read the whole thing. Like, and, and then I'm going to reflect some. There's so much in James. And I invite you guys to journey in your own time in James. But before we jump into actually reading it, who is James? Well, James was the brother of Jesus. How you like that for an older brother? Like, couldn't do no wrong. And here you are, James. Got your man, what a what a bar Jesus set. But what's amazing is James is like, he starts his 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 letter that he's writing by saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, if you're calling your brother. The Lord Jesus, the Messiah, something had to happen in your life, right? Like, I don't call my brother Seth the Lord Seth, the Messiah, because I know he is most certainly not, right? So, James has seen something, okay? Now, James was popular after the time of Jesus because he was kind of the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so the church was scattering and spreading over the world, but he led the church in Jerusalem. He was Jewish. This is important for us to just remember that James has an ethnicity, and that's going to color how he sees the world and how he writes and who he's communicating to. James is also killed in AD 62. And so we know that this was written sometime before then because he was dead afterward. Now, the Bible was written for us, not to us. And this is really important. If we pick up the Bible and we think this is written to us, we might have a tendency to misread it, or sometimes we have a tendency to see ourselves as the main player in the story. But the Bible is not a story about us. It's a story about God, and it's an invitation for us to participate in the story of God. James is writing not to us, but he is writing for us. He's writing, he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. That is a shorthand way of saying he's writing to Jewish Christians spread all over the world. And so um, it's important for us to just remember oh, he's writing to them, but this will have application and implications for our life. But they are his audience. Okay, now a good resource, if you guys have the time, on like how to read the Bible is our sermon series last year called How Not to Read the Bible, which goes into some of this, like how do we treat the Bible, and how do we read it? It's it's not just one book, but it's a library of books, and James is a letter, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are gospels, they're biographies, and there's history, and there's poetry, and there's prophetic literature, and there's apocalyptic literature, and like how do we read it? How do we respect each sort of book like it is? Well, we have a great resource um, that I will, I will put in the caption of our YouTube and Facebook post following this message, just um, so you guys could find that if you need a resource on how not to read the Bible. But here we go. Um, oh, um, yeah, I have a few more things to say and then we're actually going to read it. Um, the Bible project says the big idea of James is that following Jesus is not only agreeing with theological information, Jesus' followers become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah which is love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself And so James is basically unpacking Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus' teachings through his life and through his ministry. And James is just sitting in that and inviting us not to knowledge acquisition, which we're all really good at, but to wisdom, to sit with it and to think, how does this change things for me, for us, for our world? So a few other things I want you to keep in mind that we're jumping in. James would have a lot to say about how we communicate on social media. And so just remember that. He's got a ton to say. We're just brushing the surface today. But as we work through James and as you may read through James, consider how you um, interact, post, um, respond on social media, And to hear his soft rebuke, um, that's one thing. Another thing to keep in mind is we are in an election year. Ah. And uh, we all have opinions. And James is going to invite us to take a posture of listening first, responding after listening first. He's going to invite us away from a combative, debative nature and into a different way to interact with one another. And that's important, especially in light of what we're going to be facing this next year um, and how people want you to talk politics versus how James is inviting us to actually interact with one another. So, We're going to read the whole thing and then we're just going to reflect with the time we have left. Sound good? Okay. And I'm going to take a drink. Okay. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. The sun rises, heat and withers a plant. Its blossom, it, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even when they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after the desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Religion that, our God, that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So much in James. Holy cow. You could read half a chapter. You could read a quarter chapter and just sit there. Uh, my encouragement to you guys would be track with us by reading a half chapter of James a day. If you did that, you could read James in 10 days. You could, read a little, you could read half a chapter and then just sit with that. And then, after that, read Matthew 5-7, through which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Do a half chapter a day. So again, half, uh, that would be six days. And then after you read James for 10 days, and Matthew 5-7, through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for six days, do it again. Read James, then read Matthew 5-7. through I think you will just sitting with that. Um, will do something within us as we see kind of the interplay of James's letter and Jesus' teaching. But James 1 lays the groundwork for the rest of his letter. Um, the Bible Project guys call James a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. Which I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. A beautifully crafted punch in the gut. We have some themes that pop out right away. The first is trials, trials, testing, temptation. These are the same word that, are, that just depending on where it shows up is translated a little different, but trials, tests, temptations. We see this. Now trials here, you could, you could pick up the book of James and think of it as being written to you, even though I would say it's written for you, not to you, and you could glean a lot from it. But it's actually kind of inspiring to think about who who is written Two, and when it says trials these people are the 12 tribes who are scattered since so the people of, of it's the Jewish people Jewish Christians scattered over all over the world which means their trials are they're homeless they're displaced they're not home you guys been away from home before for a long period of time? been away from home before for a long period of time and you didn't choose that? Instead, you're just stuck. These people are probably away from home, didn't choose it for a long period of time because they chose Jesus. It's probably because they're Christians that they are scattered, which reminds us that a life of following Jesus is not always hardly ever an easy life worthwhile, yes. But these guys, their trials, they're like, they're significant trials. And I love, he's like, consider it pure joy. Look at these first few words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, sisters, when you face trials, like being displaced and homeless and away from home and you didn't choose it. Consider it pure joy. Are you kidding me? Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete. Whoa. James is saying that our wholeness might actually be on the other side of our trials. Mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Sometimes I don't know if we see our trials that way. You know? He's inviting them into a different perspective. Now, he's also going to clear the air real quick and say, this isn't God. God's not the one who's testing you or tempting you. Like, these trials aren't from God, but you know what God can do? God can, God does what God does. God resurrects. Where there's darkness, God brings light. Where there's death, God brings life. In your trials, don't miss what God may want to do through them, wholeness on the other side of trial. And then James kind of approaches a question, who is God? And I love verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Who is God? The God who gives generously to all without finding fault. The God who all we got to do is ask. All we got to do is say, God, I need you. All we got to do is admit our need for him, and God gives generously. We don't have to prove anything. We don't have to put some sort of religious resume, resume together. God is the God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Isn't that good news? But he says here, he says, but when you ask wisdom. Verse 6, you must believe and not doubt. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Some of us are from traditions that say, just believe. Don't question, don't ask. Just believe. This is not here a blanket statement about how faith works here. James is not saying, well, the way your faith should work is just believe. Don't ask questions, don't dig, don't wrestle, just believe. If you follow the gospel story long enough, and you follow Jesus' disciples hanging out with Jesus, you realize there's a lot of questions and a lot of doubts. And the scripture talks about these things. And talks about them pretty like nonchalantly. Like they're just kind of a reality. So what's going on here we must, when we ask, we must believe and not doubt. Not doubt what? This is a specific statement about who God is. God is the God who gives generously without finding fault. What are we invited to ask and not doubt? We're invited to remember God is the one who gives generously without finding fault. That's what we're being invited to anchor ourselves in. God is a God who gives generously without finding fault. So, believe and not doubt. Well, okay, when you ask, don't doubt the generosity of God. When we ask for wisdom, this is specific to asking for wisdom. When we ask for wisdom, don't doubt God's generosity. God is generous don't get doubt god's character god is the god who gives without finding fault these are what we're invited to anchor ourselves in why because when you're facing trials and when you're when you're forced to move and when you're displaced and when you're homeless and when you miss when you miss home and when you didn't choose that and when these things are actually coming on you because you made a decision to follow jesus with your life, you know what is an anchor for you when you're facing all of that? It is an anchor to know God is the God who gives generously without finding fault. Ooh. That is who our God is. And you know what happens if you don't know that? You know what happens when you're facing trials and, you're, and life has not gone how you thought it would and all sorts of things are going wrong? If you don't know that, that God is a God who gives generously without finding fault. If you do not know that, then you will feel tossed by the waves and the sea and blown about because each trial will feel like a catastrophe. Instead of remembering God is a God who gives generously without finding fault. God is with me. God can bring light from darkness. God can bring life from death. Whatever I'm facing isn't too big for Him. You see, there's one approach that is an anchor to our very existence. And there's another approach that just has us tossed about by all sorts of things going on in our life, Well, he keeps going. And he keeps returning to this question, I think, who is God? In verse 12, I love verse 12. He says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here we read that again, trials not from God. The trials aren't from God, and he's going to be super clear about that in a second. But how the person who perseveres under trial, who discovers their wholeness on the other side of the trial, who anchors themselves in the reality that God is a God who gives generously without finding fault, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. You know, Jesus invites us all to him. No one is not invited. We're all invited. But Jesus also honors our choices. If we don't want life with Jesus, we don't have to have life with Jesus. But the the claim of the New Testament, the claim of the Scriptures is life with God is truly living. And life without God is death. And so here, it talks about how the the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. God's not forcing or coercing anyone to, to invite him in or to experience his life. But those who invite him in and experience his life, we experience it, the crown of life we realize that no matter what trial we're facing, no matter what we're up against, like there really is a soul anchor, a life anchor, that life with God, no matter the circumstance, is better than life without God in the best of circumstances. And we come to discover that. that's what he's saying there. And then he goes, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So again, James wants us to be clear, these temptations aren't from God, but God can bring good out of them. He's the giver, verse 17, of every good gift. He's the giver of new birth. And then he says uh, says in verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How? How? He tells us how. He says in verse 18, he says that God has chosen to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all I created. In verse 21, he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Then he keeps going says, don't merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking in the mirror goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How are we quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? We, steer, we stare in the mirror of Jesus' words. So he compares Jesus' words and Jesus' teaching to a mirror that we look at. And he compares not sitting with them and not actually reflecting and allowing them to influence our lives. He compares us just looking at the mirror and then not doing anything about it. Like us being a person who looks in the mirror and forgets what, he, what, what we look like. And he's saying, But he's comparing Jesus' words to a mirror where we look at Jesus' words, we look at Jesus' teaching and we hold it up as a mirror to ourselves, and we stare at it long enough to actually say, "What are we being? In, what is the life we're being invited to? How are we being invited to change?" And so we actually have to spend time in front of that mirror. Again, the, the big picture that the Bible Project guys say is. That following Jesus is not about agreeing with theological information, but Jesus' followers become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah. Love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we look at the mirror of Jesus' teaching. Now, um, I want to scoot down to verse 26 and 27 real quick. It says, those who consider themselves religious... Yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues to see themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The first thing I want to say when we think about being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, when we think about if someone considers themselves religious or in good relationship with God yet doesn't keep a tight rein on their tongue. They deceive themselves. When you think about that, the first thing I want to say is the struggle is real. He's writing to people who have a hard time keeping a tight rein on their tongue and who are slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to become angry. The struggle is real. No one has it dialed in. No one is perfect. But just as the struggle is real, so the end-breaking of God's kingdom is real. And this is tucked away there. And you might miss it if you didn't just think about it for a second or have someone point it out to you. But James says that true religion is to come to the aid of widows and orphans. Religion that is pure and faultless. Now they might have realized that the struggle was real. But in this time, when James wrote these words to Jewish Christians scattered everywhere, widows and orphans—there was a category of widows and orphans that were taken care of by Greek society, and they were called freeborn. So they were born free; they weren't born slaves, they weren't born servants, but they had some sort of special social status. And those widows and orphans were taken care of in Greek society and the society, contemporary society to James. But the widows and the orphans that weren't freeborn, they were not. Well, what do we know? We can look back over the course of history, and we can see the pages of history slowly turn, that when Jesus comes and invites his followers (coughs) into a new way of living, a new way of relating to God with one another and with our world, he teaches us about the dignity and worth of all categories of people. And we can see that while that was a little minority opinion, a minority persuasion, we look over the pages of history over the course of time and we see the society begin to change. And we see that People who once thought, oh, there's only some categories of people that are protected or that are worth certain, certain protections or care. We see that begin to turn on its head. And we see early Christians, when plagues hit, when, when there were epidemics that were wiping out people and the rest of society would bail on a town because they don't want to get sick, who stay? The Christians. Because they believe that the, uh, in the value and dignity and worth of every person, Christian or not. And we begin to see this movement pick up more steam and more steam and more steam and more steam. So that over the course of the first few hundred years, we see a minority movement with a minority persuasion about how all people are worthy of dignity and value and being treated well and being cared for. We see it over the course of 400 years. Coliseums that were once packed with people watching others slaughter one another because they didn't see those people as worthwhile and valuable, those coliseums were now empty because society had changed. So what I want you to hear in this last little bit is the struggle is real, but so is the end-breaking of God's kingdom. And sometimes it doesn't look like much. But oh, what it grows into, both personally in our own lives and in our community and ultimately in our world. So I just want to point you guys to a few resources to close us out. Let's dig into James together. Like I said, why don't you read it with us? Half chapter a day gets you through James in 10 days. Half chapter Matthew 5 through 7 gets you through the Sermon on the Mount in six days. And then rinse and repeat. Do it again. And I will put this on the captions of the the message video as resources. And let's do that. If you are curious about other supplements, as you read through James, you're like, I'm new to the Bible. Like I said, that How Not to Read the Bible teaching series would be a great place to start. It's on YouTube, on our YouTube page. On the Bible Project, I will list all these. The Bible Project has a little guide on how to read James, and that's really good. Another thing that I'm finding particularly helpful as I read through James is Scott McKnight's Little New Testament Everyday Bible Study, which goes through a little section of James and then some reflections on it. And it's really good, and it's a really accessible book, so I'll also list that. But with that said, my big takeaway, man, I've gone long. Band, can you go one song instead of two here in a minute? Okay. Why don't you come up, though, Band? Band. My big takeaway with James 1 is twofold. One, it's, I need saving. (laughs) I read James 1, and it's like a mirror, right? Where you're like, man, I'm not that good at any of this stuff. Like, I need saving. I need rescuing. But God wants to rescue And that's the feeling I get as I leave James chapter 1. Because look at this. Just highlights God gives generously to all without finding fault. That is an anchor during life's trials. God gives the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. God doesn't tempt, but He resurrects. He's got the power to bring life from death, to bring light out of darkness. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift, He does not change. He chose to give us a new birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits he reveals who God is it says that verse 12 uh, verse, verse verse 12 no where are we at here yes there he is. verse 21 second half humbly accept the word of planted in you which can save you. There's a life, life with God cannot touch. The experience of life with God cannot touch the experience of life without God. And God knows the struggle is real, but he wants to bring the kingdom into our lives. We need saving but he wants to save. He gives generously without finding fault. How good is that? Let's pray. God, thank you. You are the God who gives generously without finding fault. I pray that as we sit in James and journey through it as a community, that that we would not approach it as knowledge acquisition but we would approach it longing for wisdom and you say if we want wisdom we ask and you're the one who gives generously without finding fault and so god help us to move in james looking for your wisdom sitting with it and allowing it to shape and change us we ask it, jesus in your name